All right, all right, good morning. Yeah, still good morning, we got it. Y'all doing good? All right, all right, we can do this, y'all. What a good day to just come and worship God together, isn't it? I am super pumped and really excited to be able to be here this morning to open God's Word with you guys. That is your cue to go ahead and look for John chapter 1 if you haven't started yet. Uh, to share with you guys from a passage that means a lot to me. It's truly one of those essential passages to me, to my life and my walk with God. And I hope that I'll be able to share that with you this morning. I hope that you will hear what God has to tell you and me together. So John chapter 1, verse 43, yeah, in just a minute. But you know, this text we're about to look at reminds me a little bit, ironically, of one of my summer vacations Uh, As you heard, I grew up as a missionary kid, so we would only go home to South Africa every three or four years. Got to see my grandparents and extended family every three or four years. And we usually just stay with my grandparents, just visit with them uh, while my parents did, you know, missionary stuff. And um, one of those trips, I was probably, I don't know, 13, 14, somewhere around there. Came to my grandparents and I found a chameleon. Now, if you don't know what a chameleon is, Google it later. But the chameleon is basically, a, 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 it's called a fat lizard, right? Like an iguana, it kind of looks around kind of sort of like that. But a chameleon has this unique capacity to change its colors according to its environment, usually to evade predators. And so I found one about four or five inches long. My grandma was very sweet, still is very sweet by the way. And she let me keep it in her house. And so I let loose this thing in a house. You know, it would just kind of find food wherever. I don't know what it ate, but it survived for a while. And so you would just kind of go visit grandma and you would sit down for supper or dinner or something and you'd look up and it'd be a chameleon walking across the curtain. Or you'd walk down a hallway and it'd be a chameleon walking down a hallway with you. Or you'd see this chameleon, all these interesting places you never expected, make for a great conversation starter. But you kept seeing this chameleon. Now, We're about to see in the Gospel of John how Jesus uses those three words, I saw you, in a much more meaningful way than me seeing a chameleon. But I really hope that you will see how profound these words are, and I hope that you will just listen as the Holy Spirit speaks to us this morning as we listen to God. So if you found it by now, John chapter 1, the New Testament, please stand with me. As we honor God, the giver of this word, we will start our reading in verse 43. Now, this is day two of Jesus' ministry, according to the Gospel of John. Yesterday, he just called Peter and Andrew. Today, it's a different story. The next day, Jesus decided to leave for Galilee. Finding Philip, he said to him, follow me. Philip, like Andrew and Peter, was from the town of Bethsaida. Philip found Nathanael and told him, we have found the one Moses wrote about in the law and about whom the prophets also wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Nazareth? Can anything good come from there? Nathanael asked, come and see, said Philip. When Jesus saw Nathanael approaching, he said to him, we said of him, here truly is an Israelite in whom there is no deceit. How do you know me? Nathanael asked, and Jesus answered, I saw you while you were still under the fig tree before Philip called you. Then Nathanael declared, Rabbi, Rabbi, you are the son of God. You are the king of Israel. 
Jesus said, you believe because I told you, I saw you under the fig tree and you will see greater things than that. He then added, very truly I tell you, you will see heaven open and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you, God, that by your grace, you still speak to us today. We thank you, God, that your word is living and active, Father, and penetrates through the depths of our souls and our hearts and our lives. I pray, God, that you would speak. I pray, God, that we would hear. And I pray, God, that we would be changed and transformed, Father, more in the likeness of Christ. Amen. Amen. Please be seated. Jesus says, Nathaniel, I know you because I saw you. Now, when he says, I saw you, he's not talking in the same way that I would say, hey, I saw the chameleon walking across the curtain. He's not saying, hey, who found Waldo, right? You know, the, the book character, Waldo, like the stripy guy who hides everywhere. I think we even have a picture of him up here. But we're not looking for Waldo. Jesus didn't just see Waldo and say, hey, there's Waldo. Let's turn the page. Let's move on. No, no, something much more profound happens here and you really cannot afford to miss what the text says about the depth, about the seriousness, about the weight of to be seen by Jesus. You know, we live in a day where we can be noticed. We, we can use social media, TikTok, Instagram. We can use uh, cameras very fancy cameras, lots of high-def pictures and 4K millions stuffies, I don't know what all else. We, we, can, we can give pictures of ourselves and we can be noticed, but are we truly seen? I think the reality, the truth is for each and every one of us, the need, the longing, the hunger, the thirst to be truly seen is a longing of the human heart that all of us share. Whoever you are, no matter your background, no matter your story, no matter your age, no matter your gender, no matter your cultural heritage, we all deeply long to be seen. Not, not in a prideful way, not in a, necessarily in a sinful way, but we, we long to find our purpose and, and that has to begin with understanding who we are and who we are exists in the context of being seen, of existing. Well, this is what takes place in this text with Nathaniel because if you look at the text with me, we see a progression in his conversation with Jesus and this exchange with Jesus where we're given really fascinating insights into the heart and the mind of Nathaniel, right? I mean, you look at the text, right? We, we see in his encounter, for instance, we, we, see, his, we see his prejudices. He, his friend, Philip, verse 45, Philip found Nathaniel and he tells them, hey, we have found the one Moses has told us about. He's saying basically, Nathaniel, we have found the person we have all been waiting for, for centuries and centuries. We have found a person that is coming to redefine who we are and who we are as people of God. Nathaniel, come and see him. Because Nathaniel, his name is Jesus, son of Joseph from Nazareth. Now, this is big news, right? That this is a big deal. This is really really important. But when you look at Nathaniel's response to, to his friend, <laughs> it's not, oh, wow, yeah, let's go check this out. It's Nazareth. Has uh, anything good come out of Nazareth? He, he's not asking for Jesus's resume. He's not asking for Jesus's 
social media handles to go check him out first. He's not asking for, for, for his LinkedIn page. He's, he's, not, he's not asking for witnesses to come and give him accounts first. He's not asking for an interview. He's like, seriously, Nazareth? That's what he gets hung up on. He, he reveals his heart and, and whatever prejudices you may have. It's not, oh, Bethlehem, sure. Jerusalem, fantastic. Atlanta, perfect. No, it's Nazareth? Seriously? No. He shows us his skepticism. He, he's, a, he's a doubtful kind of person. He's, he's someone who likes to doubt whatever he's told. Uh, he shows us the way he thinks even. I mean, you look at Jesus sees him approaching in verse 47, and Jesus then declares, and this is a big deal, Jesus declares to everyone who's listening, it says he said, of Nathaniel, not to Nathaniel, of Nathaniel, here truly is an Israelite in whom there is no deceit. That is a compliment, y'all. That, that, that's a big deal. If I walked up and Jesus said, hey, y'all, this is Adrian in whom there is no deceit, I'm like, <laughs> yeah, sure. No, again, Nathaniel's response to that is, how do you know me? How do you know me? How do you know me? Because now we move in much deeper territory, right? In verse 48, we see that he is now going to reveal his deepest need. Because to the question, how do you know me? Jesus answers, I saw you. I saw you, Nathaniel, as you were still under the tree, under the fig tree, before Philip even called you. And to that, Nathaniel responds, after all the skepticism, after all the doubt, after all the pushing back, after all just the cynical responses he provided so far, he responds with, Rabbi, Master, Teacher, Rabbi, you are the Son of God. You are the King of Israel. And Jesus said, verse 50, you believe because I told you, I saw you under the fig tree. How do you know me? And Jesus' answer is, I saw you under the fig tree. I saw you. You see what Jesus is really saying, the full story here is, that he saw Nathanael and he knows Nathanael. You see, friends, to be truly seen by Jesus is to be truly known by Jesus. To be seen by Jesus is to be truly and fully known by him. It's not about being exposed as, oh boy, now the whole world sees. No, it's that there's someone in the universe who sees you and knows you and understands you and knows your thoughts, your inmost desires, knows your fears and your joys, and he doesn't just know about them. He knows you. He knows him. And now we see that Nathaniel relates differently to Jesus, isn't he? he? He confesses the kingship. He confesses the lordship of Christ. He's not hiding, he's not being a chameleon on a curtain trying to hide in the social and religious environment so no one may see him and expose him. No, no, he's, he's very much aware of who he is and he's very much aware that he's following Jesus and he's very much aware that he's stepping out of something into something new because Jesus saw him. Jesus saw him. And to be seen by Jesus is to be confronted by the grace and by the mercy of God. 
To be seen, to be known by Jesus is to be exposed and to be seen and to be confronted with the goodness and the kindness and the presence and the fullness and the holiness of God, the creator of the heavens and the earth, the one who is the great I am, yet he still sees me. He sees you. Folks, I don't know all of your stories. I wish I did. I don't know your backgrounds. I don't know your stories. I don't know your context. I don't know your pains. I don't know your failures. I don't know your joys. I don't have a lot of that, but what I do know without a shadow of a doubt is that Jesus sees you and Jesus knows you. I don't know, are you sitting in these chairs this morning and whatever the baggage is that you carried into these doors this morning, whatever the burdens you carried into these doors this morning, Jesus sees you. And it should be a shocking statement. It should be something that startles you because you thought that you were insulated. You thought that you were safe, but yet Jesus sees you. And Jesus says, come with me. Let's go together. Let's walk together. Today, Jesus is telling you and I still that he sees us and that he knows us. No matter the hurt, he says, I seize you. And I know you. No matter the illness, no matter the anxiety, no matter the fear, no matter the pride, he says, I see you and I know you. No matter the addictions, he says, I see you and I know you. No matter the godlessness, no matter the doubt, no matter the failure, the failure he says, I know you because I see you. But he doesn't just stop there. He doesn't just say, I see you. Okay, see ya. In the same way, he didn't see the woman at the well with all of her failures and all of her sin. He didn't say, hey, nice to meet you. I'm moving on now. The woman caught in adultery, he doesn't say, hey, don't do that again. He walks away. His friends who just lost their brother, Lazarus, he doesn't just say, oh, I'm so sad. Then he walks away. No, in all of these stories throughout the Gospels, the consistent story is that Jesus sees, he knows, and he walks with those who follow him. And so it's so important to see that Jesus invites us to walk with him into this fellowship, into this deep transformation that we read of here. I mean, think about it. You have two guys in this very short story. I mean, I just love that it's so much information. It's such a short story. But you have these two guys. You, you, excuse me. You, you have Philip and you have Nathaniel. Yesterday, Jesus had two followers. It was Peter and Andrew. Today, Jesus sees Philip. Hey, Philip, follow me. Philip follows. On the way of following Jesus, Philip sees his buddy, Nathaniel. Nathaniel, come see. You know, I wonder if as they look back years later, both Philip and Nathaniel if they remembered how that day started. You know, they got up that morning on that very warm and dusty Middle Eastern morning. And it was hot and dry and then you'd have to get up and go fishing probably. And you know, that, that was what the day was gonna hold. Maybe a couple days worth of fishing, come back, fix some nets. Maybe that's what Nathaniel was doing under that fig tree, he was fixing some nets. Maybe he was hanging out with some rabbis and trying to learn from them, you know, a thing or two. 
We don't know how the day started, but I promise you not one of them expected that they would end in this way, where both of them would leave everything behind and just be followers of Jesus. A deep transformation occurred that is not just about, you know, what they did. It's not just about their religion. It's not just about they show up on church on Sunday morning. It wasn't about what translation of the Bible they read. No, something much, much deeper occurred. A shift occurred in the depths of their hearts, and that is an identity shift. And if you look at it, identity, the smart people tell us, identity are the things of life that shape us and define us. Things like our memories, our experiences, our relationships, our values. If these things make up our identity, I think the question begs to be answered by all of us. Are we proud of our experiences and our memories and our relationships and our values? Good? Are we proud of those? Are we not? Are we struggling with these? Do they need to be renovated? Do they need to be changed? Because that is exactly what takes place in this passage as Jesus undertakes a deep renovation of not just Philip, but also Nathaniel. You know a renovation, you know like when you have a house that is not necessarily in the best of shape, kind of a ruin, and somebody comes in and they kind of rebuild it into something really cool, right? Well, usually pretty cool. I've seen some really terrible ones too. I have some pictures of terrible ones. Here's a good one first of a castle in Scotland that you may have seen in different media. There you go. That was the ruin. I mean, the view is epic, isn't it? You may not. It's epic. It's fantastic. Here's the renovated picture. Boom. Yeah, I'd go on vacation there, right? Uh, here's another picture of a renovation for you real quick. That's the before and the after of a chateau. I think it's in France. Um, I think the jury is still out if that was an improvement or not. If you can't even see the after picture, right? Uh, apparently, they just put a bunch of stainless steel. I call that the Darth Vader renovation. Uh, here's another picture of a renovation. I call that the cheddar cheese renovation. That's what it looks like. That's what it looks like now. Yeah, I think uh, we all agree, right? You see why I call it cheddar cheese renovation? All right, you're gonna like this one. I call this the washing machine renovation. Do you see it? Tell me you see it. When, when you see the washing machine, raise your hand. All right, you can't unsee it now. You're welcome. That's a castle in Spain. Don't ask me to pronounce the name, I can't. You can obviously see where the old ruin sort of kind of was and the rest of this giant concrete washing machine. The, these are one cool, a couple of terrible renovations but you know, the thing with renovation is you can go as deep as you need to. And the renovation that Jesus undertakes of the heart of Nathaniel is a deep, deep, deep renovation. Now, you're asking me probably at this point, that, well, how do you find identity in this text? Well, I will come out and I will tell you right now, it's a little bit encoded. It's like Jesus uses some cultural code here and, and, and some of the references he makes Nathaniel gets really quickly, but for many of us, it may be a little harder. So first he talks to, to Nathaniel and he says, Nathaniel, well, actually he talks to the crowd and he says, here's Nathaniel, an Israelite in whom there's no deceit. A little later on, he talks to Nathaniel in verse 51. He talks to him about uh, what he is yet to come. And he says, very truly, I tell you, you will see heaven open and the angels of God ascending and descending on the son of man. Both of those references are references to Jacob in the book of Genesis in the very beginning, one of the patriarchs 
of the people of God. And so Jacob literally meant the deceiver. You know, there's no deceit. Deceiver, the trickster. And then later on, it's a reference to Jacob's encounter that one night. He has that vision of all these angels, these millions of angels coming and going on this giant ladder or staircase, hence Jacob's ladder. And so Nathaniel gets this, but what Jesus is trying to show Nathaniel and effectively does is Nathaniel, I know you and I know that your identity rests in your heritage, in your story, in who you think you are as a member of the Israelite community. And he makes it clear that Nathaniel, to follow me, you're gonna have to step out of that. And in that simple statement, I saw you, therefore I know you. A deep, profound transformation has occurred in Nathaniel because Jesus gave him a compelling invitation to follow him, an invitation to shift allegiances, allegiances, an invitation to reset his identity, to step into the unknown because Jesus does nothing more and nothing less than to captivate our affections, our loves, He captivates our imaginaries. He captivates our very identity and he reshapes it. And he elevates our hopes. He he changes what we look forward to. Nathaniel was happy to just look forward to the coming of this promised one by Moses. And now he's looking forward to this future revelation of Christ. You see, my friends, Jesus does not only inform our minds. He also renovates and rebuilds our hearts from the inside out. It's not the Darth Vader renovation you just saw, the cheddar cheese renovation you just saw, or the washing machine renovation you just saw. It's something much, much deeper because he completely reimagines it and rebuilds it from the inside out. But the story does not end there, does it? The story continues because after Jesus changes him, transforms him. He now invites him to follow him and to go with him. Now, we'll do a quick test here. Does anybody know what this is? See the object in my hands? Blue. It's a what? I hear leash and I hear dog leash. If you think it's a dog leash, raise your hand. It's a trick question. Lower your hand. It's not a dog leash. What do you think? It's not a dog leash. What is it? A what? A child leash. No, it's not a child leash. Although we know we used to have a child leash now. It's not a child leash. What is it? Come on, again, one more try. Woo! You know what it is? It's a chicken leash. Yep, it's what I said too. It's a chicken leash. You know why I have a chicken leash? Because I have chickens. I have a flock. I'm the proud owner of a flock, and that's one of my girls right there. Yep, she's ugly, but she lays eggs, and I don't pay a million dollars for an egg. You're welcome. (laughs) Yep, so I have a flock, and one thing you learn really quickly when you have chickens is one, they're a lot of fun, honestly. It's a lot of fun, most days, except when you're confronted with their personalities. You know the chickens have personalities, and they're pretty much all evil. Um, chickens are the most stubborn creature, I think, that God came up with. I think, and I've seen a few. Chickens don't listen. 
Chickens don't follow instructions. Chickens, oh my word. They're the most rebellious, stubborn, mind of their own creatures that thankfully lay eggs. So they redeem themselves. Um, so you should see like, for instance, when we let them out into the garden, we have a fenced in garden. We let the chickens out of the coop to just go roam and play and eat bugs and whatever else they can eat except my veggies. I will wring their necks if they eat my veggies, which they still do. So apparently I'm not very serious with that threat. Um, trying to get them back in the coop is a task because they're stubborn, evil, rebellious creatures. Except for one thing, when my son Jacob comes, now Jacob is 10 years old and Jacob is, I think, gonna be a rancher one day because he loves all things animals. Now when Jacob comes, he usually takes care of the chickens, okay, at our house. He, he is our chicken keeper. And they know Jacob very well. As a matter of fact, I can be in the garden with the chickens trying to wrangle them back in and having one go that way and one go that way, one go over my head, another one doing something on my shoes, you know what. Um, it, it's, it's a mess, but then you hear the back door open, you hear the, the screen porch close, you hear the footsteps go down the staircase, and as all of this happens, you see the chickens change their behavior instantly. They calm down, and they all go to the gate. All of them, like in... 2.4 seconds. And then Jacob, my 10-year-old, walks up, opens the gate. He talks to the chickens, walks them straight to the coop, and they all follow him. All of them, not one is missing. They all walk with him. He says, come on in. And he lets them in. He gives them a couple of snacks, and he closes the door, and he walks out. And he's just like, oh, well. <laughs> and we're all like losing our minds. It's like, it just took me 30 minutes to get one in the stupid coop. I can tell a chicken all day long to follow me, it probably won't listen. Jacob will tell them to follow him and they will listen, gladly. You know where I'm going with this, right? Are we chickens when God calls us to follow him? Or are we just so in love with our stubborn, rebellious personalities and characters and humanities? You see, the call to follow Jesus is not a, hey, here's a suggestion for you, bub. Let's go do this. Let's go to the movies. No, no, it's, it's something far more profound. It's, it's something far more existential even because it's a call to walk with Jesus in the ways of Jesus and doing something that's not been done ever. It's about standing on the shoulders of 2,000 years of men and women who have heard the call of Jesus. And when he said, follow me, they stepped out in faith and they stepped wherever he led them. Often they lost their lives for the sake of the gospel. Often they did the hardest things for the sake of the gospel. But we would not be here. Not a one of us would be in a church building today if it had not been for all those men and women of the past. But I would submit to you that they are generations of men and women, of boys and girls coming after us. who are dependent on us, who are waiting on us today to do likewise, to step into the ways of Jesus, into the calling on our lives to follow him, and to learn the ways of Jesus, to be shaped and to be molded by Christ, by the power of the Holy Spirit. That is our calling. 
We stand on those shoulders. And it's time we lay ourselves aside. The truth is, the Bible tells us very clearly, and we believe this with all of our hearts, that Christ came, he ministered, he died, and he was raised from the dead, amen? You say it with more conviction, it's kind of a big deal. He was raised from the dead. And the Bible tells us today, he sits at the right hand of the Father. And the Bible tells us that he is interceding for us, that he is advocating for us to the Father, still ministering to the Father on our behalf. But friends, in so, so many ways, Jesus is still walking the streets of this world. In so many ways, he's still roaming the dusty roads of this world, the cities and the towns and the countrysides of this world. Whether they are here in Georgia and East Cobb, whether they're in America, whether they're in South America, Asia, Africa, Europe, wherever they may be, he is still walking and he's still speaking. He is speaking through his word. He is speaking through his spirit. But he's speaking through his people as well. His people of all ages, whether you're 99 or whether you're nine, it doesn't matter. If you're a follower of Christ, your voice carries authority. Your voice carries substance because it carries the very words of God. If you speak the gospel, if you live the gospel, and I have to ask you, is the way you speak and the content of your speech and your actions reflective of the Christ that is encountered in scripture, of the Christ that is encountered in the gospel? If you were in that town in Samaria, the women of the well, would you have acted like Christ? If you had encountered the women caught in adultery, would you have acted like Christ? If you were one of the disciples at the resurrection and he says, go now and make disciples of all nations and teach them and baptize them, would you be one of those going and following, not just in obedience, but out of transformation because you've encountered the living God? That is the gospel. And that is our motivation, that is our purpose. Because to be a disciple maker is to help people find Jesus. Come and see Nathaniel. It's helping people follow Jesus. Jesus invites him and Philip to follow him. But it's also to help people make Jesus known. Do you know why? Do you know why we go through all of this work, why we go through all of this trouble, why people have died for the sake of this good news? It's because it's true. And it's because it's worth it. And it's because of who we are in Christ, because of the work of Christ in and through us. So I'm asking you, are you following Jesus? Or are you just along for the ride? I don't know your story once again, but I know that Jesus sees every one of you and he knows every one of you. And he knows your past, your present, he even knows your future. And he invites you to come to him and then to go with him, to follow him. Why would you not respond to that?
Nathaniel was profoundly changed. You can be profoundly changed too. Just come to him just as you are. Would you pray with me? Lord, we thank you, God, for your word. We thank you, God, that your word does not expire. There's no expiration date, God, and you still call us to follow you. And Father of the crowd in front of me this morning, Lord, I don't know what all the fig trees are under which people are sitting. But what I do know, God, is that this morning they heard clearly someone saying, come and see, come and see Jesus. Leave the fig tree, come and check it out. Because to be confronted with Christ is life altering, is transforming. Father, I pray that, that you would speak this morning to all of our hearts, God. Pray that you would convict us, God, of our stubborn, rebellious hearts. That we would come to you, Lord, asking for your forgiveness, but also asking for your help, God. And not being better, but being transformed, being changed by the power of the gospel. And I pray, God, we'd be people of life. That we'd be people who, who speak the truth of who you are, Lord, and do it in a hopeful and gracious way. That, Father, we would be like Philip and see the ones sitting under the fig trees, God, and invite them to come along. And, Father, we would be faithful as we show people the way to Jesus as we encourage them and model, Father, how to follow you, as we grow together, and then Father, encourage them to go and be disciple makers, to be evangelists, to go and tell people about Jesus. But God, we are here this morning, and as we listen to these words, and Father, as we're just confronted with the truth of your word, God, there is just a simple acknowledgement, and that is that we need you, there is no doubt that the ground we stand on today, God, is as hard as the truth that we need you. We need you, Father, to make whole what is broken. We need you, Father, to bring healing. We need you, Father, to bring forgiveness. We need you, God. And so we pray, Father, that you would make yourself known to us this morning in the fullness of your presence. May your holiness, Father, just draw us closer to you. But Father, I pray that you would convict us, God, to step closer and closer and be transformed in the likeness of our Lord, Jesus Christ. Amen.